You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. We've been in a teaching series called Stranger Things since just after Easter, actually. The Sunday after Easter, we started it. So if you've missed any of these weeks, you can go online and catch up. We're going to bring it to a close next week. Uh, Pastor Kurt's actually going to bring it to a close. Uh, he's going to talk about a story in the Bible where a donkey talks. Uh, I don't know about you. Every time I read that story, I just hear Eddie Murphy. Anybody? <laughs> it's like, it has to be, right? So that's, that's how it's going to close. But we've been looking at lots of these stories where you read it and you're like, that is weird. What, what is that about? And, you know, I'm still trying, we're six weeks into this thing and I'm still trying to decide, am I really, you know, brave to do this or am I just really stupid? Because uh, it's not been an easy series, and a lot of you have even come up to me and said, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. And, um, and it's because a lot of pastors, I think, kind of shy away from some of these stories, and, and, or, or maybe they don't mean to, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things where we either believe that this is the whole, you know, that this whole thing is the written word of God, or we don't, you know? And, and that includes these stories, right? That we look at and go, did someone forget to edit that out, or what's that in there for? It's like, no, it's supposed to be in there. The Holy Spirit led to the you know, process of, of the Bible that we have in our hands. And so what are we supposed to take from these stories that we read and just go, wow, that is really strange. Um, so we're gonna dive into another one today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 28. If you wanna open a Bible or click on the Bible app. I know some people are saying they're having trouble finding the Bible app event the last couple of weeks. It's there. I'm wondering if there's an update that uh, you may need to, to do on your phone or something because I can see it and other people can't see it. I don't know what's going on. Technology is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, the, you watching the live stream. Isn't technology awesome? Okay, yeah. So, uh, but it should be there. It should be there. I don't know why it's not showing up for everybody, but First uh, Samuel chapter 28, we're gonna start in verse three, all right? Verse three. It says, now Samuel was dead and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw, that's a really, you got to really do that slow. Why Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. So Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Well, there's one in Endor, they said. So let's just stop here for a second, because I think we get a pretty important detail in verse 3, uh, where at some point prior to this, we don't know when, but at some point prior to this, Saul had expelled, it says, he, you know, he kicked out, he cleared the land of Israel of mediums and spiritists. Some translations say sorcery or witches, or it just depends on what translation you're reading. Um, that was a good move, right? When you hear that, you should go, okay, way to go, Saul, because that's what God wanted them to do. That was actually obedience uh, when he did that. God did not want Israel to mess around 
with any of, of this kind of witchcraft, uh, sorcery kind of stuff. So let me read a few verses for you. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 31, God told Israel, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So this is part of the law that he gave Israel to follow. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 18, kind of similar, but, but a little bit longer, it says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Then in a couple verses later, verse 14, it says, The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination, but as for you, that's a key phrase, but as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. So, you know, he, he says, all these people around you might be doing these things. They might engaging in these behaviors and in these practices. But if you're gonna be the special possession, that's what God called Israel. That's what he referred to them as. If you're gonna be my people, that's not gonna be a part of your life. You, they can do that. You're not going to. And you read the list and, and like, that's just true, right? There's just things as the people of God that we say, okay, as followers of Jesus, um, we're not gonna do that. Other people can do that, but we're not going to. And it's easy when it's like really obviously bad things, right? Like no one reads this list and thinks, well, you know, what's the big deal about sacrificing your sons and daughters in fire? I mean, that's really not a big deal. Like you read that and you go, yeah, like we shouldn't do that. They probably shouldn't either. No one should actually, that should just be a rule. Um, it's easy when it's, it's really obviously, you know, evil or immoral things. But, but one of the things that occurred to me when I read this is, is sometimes God will ask you to not engage something that you look at and you think, well, what's the big deal with that? Um, and, and sometimes it could even be a good thing. Like there are things that, that God will say to you as a, as a matter of personal conviction, like that, that you are not to do that. You are not to go there. You are not to, to be involved in those things. It might be okay for them, but they're not you, Right? It's this line, but as for you, I, I'm the Lord your God, and I, I'm just telling you, and it kind of goes back to our guardrail series, doesn't it? Uh, if you remember that back in January, this idea that sometimes, and there's, there's some things in my life, they're personal convictions, they're not things that I would say, okay, it's clear in the word that no one should engage in these things, but, but for me, uh, there are specific reasons and things that God has just said, Mike, that's just not, that's not going to be something you can mess with with your history, with your family, with your, like, you got to put a line there. It's not, it's not about anybody else. It's about me as your God. I'm just telling you, you can't do that. And sometimes that's really hard for us, isn't it? Because we look at other people and go, well, why? Well, they can't do it. Well, it's not about them. Um, it's like, it's like the scene with, uh, is it, is it Peter on the beach where he, he's like, well, what about these disciples? And, and Jesus is like, what is it to you? About, don't worry about them. You follow me. I'll, they follow me in their own way. You follow me too, Right? So in an act of obedience, this is where Saul obeyed the Lord. He kicks out these people who are practicing, um, you know, occult stuff, spiritism, whatever you want to call it. But then in 1 Samuel 28, the passage we just read, what's he doing? He's seeking them out. See, he's flip-flopped on, on this issue, right? Why? Why is Saul now seeking out the people that he 
obediently kicked out according to God's law. Well, he's doing it because he's scared. Right? Did you, you read that in there where it says he was, his terror filled his heart? Right? How many of us know that fear makes you stupid? Do you know that? Like fear will make you do dumb stuff. Um, even just like physiologically, the, the part of your brain, what they, they call it the fear center, right? When, when that part of your brain is engaged, it can actually override your, your prefrontal cortex, which is the thing that you know, helps you with like your working memory, uh, decision-making, those kinds of things. That can actually get hijacked by fear. They've, they've lit up the brain and they, they've seen what happens when people are afraid and what, how the brain works. Like when you are operating out of fear, your IQ drops. I've actually done studies on this. You are like 10% more dumb when you're afraid. <laughs> now fear can be helpful too, right? Fear can keep you alive. Uh, so there, there's actually some, there's a, there's a positive side to fear, but generally speaking, fear makes you stupid, okay? You want to write that down. Somebody needs to write that down, put that, put that in front of you on your mirror tomorrow. Fear makes me dumb, okay? Saul is afraid. He's afraid of the Philistines. Um, that's like Israel's primary enemy in most of the Old Testament. The Philistines were a brutal group, and they are about 20 miles away. If you look at the geography of this passage, they are making inroads into Israel. They're only like 20 miles from where Saul is at, and he is afraid because if they keep pushing forward, they're going to get to his doorstep soon, and he's going to be toast. So Saul does a smart thing here, and it says he inquired of the Lord. Like when, when you're afraid, that's a good thing to do. Seek God. But listen to this line. He inquired of the Lord, and then it says, the Lord did not answer him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever sought God and felt like God wasn't there or maybe wasn't listening, wasn't responding to you? What do you do when God won't talk to you? That's that's Saul. He's scrambling. And for us, it would be, you know, we read our Bible, we go to church, we talk to a pastor, we talk to our small group, whatever it is, and we, we try to figure things out and we just, we get to the end of the road and we're like, I don't really know what to do. I'm not really sure what God wants me to, to do or what's gonna happen. That's Saul, he's desperate. And so he asks for a dream. Um, he consults with a, a priest, that, that word Urim in there has to do with the breast, uh, breastplate that the priest would wear. He tries to find a prophet, which was likely a false prophet because by this point, all of God's prophets had kind of either died or stopped working with Saul. So he finds a prophet, probably not an actual prophet. But no matter what Saul does, God is silent. And see, the, the thing is, Saul is desperate for God to talk to him now, but he hasn't been listening for years. Saul hasn't. Saul's in, you ever been there? Like Saul's desperate. He's like, God, I need you. I need you to come through for me. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I need you to speak to me. I need to know. But Saul hasn't been listening to anything God has been saying to him for years. And so we don't have all the times to go through, you know, all the ways Saul was disobedient. But it got so bad, if you read through a story, there's a point in the story where God says, essentially, that he was sorry he made Saul king. Like he felt, he, 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 he drifts so far from God that God's like, I, I shouldn't have picked Saul 
<laughs> of course, he knew, right? It wasn't like God didn't know what was going to happen. And, and God actually, by this point, has already chosen David to, to take over, that Saul's not going to be king anymore. And, and Saul knows that. That's part of the disobedience. Saul's chasing David all around. I mean, just, just a crazy story. So all of that has happened, right? And that's why God won't respond to Saul. So then verse eight, he goes and he tries to find this, this witch or this medium. Verse eight, uh, Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And that night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, who shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now, I, don't know what, I don't know what changes there that she figures out that the disguised guy is actually Saul. Uh, my creative brain thinks that like Samuel comes up out of the dead and is like, hey, that's Saul. You know, and like tells her, I don't know. I'm not sure what happens, but, but her eyes are open to who this is that's asking her. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. What's interesting is Saul doesn't see any of this, right? The woman sees this happening, but Saul doesn't. That's kind of, kind of interesting. What does he look like? An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So he disguises himself. There's a couple theories on that. One is that he's meeting this woman behind what would have been enemy lines by that point, that the Philistines are nearby. And as king of Israel, he's enemy number one, right? So maybe he's disguising himself so he doesn't get caught by the, by the Philistines. I think the more likely idea is Saul's the one who kicked all the spiritists out of the land. And so she's not exactly gonna be a willing participant for him. She doesn't really like him probably, kicked out his parent, her parents and whatever. So he's disguising himself in order to get what he wants. And she does it. She brings Samuel back from the dead. I can't explain to you how or why or you know, how that works, but it's ironic. And the ironic thing is Saul didn't listen to Samuel while Samuel was alive, Right? Samuel was God's prophet. He was always coming to Saul going, hey, like, shouldn't do that. Or don't, hey, whoa, you just like offended God there. What are you doing? Turn, like, don't do that. And Saul just blew him off or did exactly the opposite of what Samuel told him to do. And like, he didn't listen to Samuel while Samuel was alive. Now that Samuel's dead, what do you think the odds are that he's gonna listen to him? But he's like, bring up Samuel for me because at least Samuel was a prophet. He knew that. At least Samuel was a prophet. So then verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? a really strong line. I don't know what to do with that. Like, like, that's a really scary phrase. 
The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it <clears throat> and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. And the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Hear the weight of that line. When Samuel says to him, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That's not what you want to hear from a dead guy, right? You want him to come up and go, hey, you're going to win the battle and God's going to you know, bless you again. He's going to return to you and everything's going to work out fine. You know, pat on the head. Samuel says, tomorrow, you're going to be where I am, you and your kids. And that's exactly what happens um, by chapter 31. Saul is dead and so are his sons. So what do we take from this strange story? Um, One thing I want to be really clear about, and I think you know this, but you you shouldn't read this story and go, it must be okay to to visit like mediums and spiritists and stuff. Uh, That would be like the exact opposite of what you should take from this story. Saul is not a hero. Uh, He's not the guy that you're supposed to read and go, oh, we should be like Saul. Uh, No. Not unless you want to end up like Saul. No, I'm just kidding. Like, that, that's not how you should read this story. There's tons of verses in the Bible that's, that warn us against messing with occult stuff and all that, and um, we should steer, steer far clear from those things. I think a more fruitful path would be what I heard Larry Osborne first talk about this. Larry Osborne is a pastor in San Diego, great church called North Coast. Um, he, he calls it the dimmer switch principle. So do you, yeah, like have, have a light in your house that's not just an on and or off, but you can kind of lower it or raise it and it can kind of dim or whatever. We've got a couple in here. Sometimes they even work the way they're supposed to. Um, sometimes they flicker. Those of you in the back, you're, oh, that, nice. Well done, Dan. Uh, sometimes the ones in the back go haywire because if you lower it too low, the bulbs just completely like shut off or start flickering or, you know, whatever. Um, but, but the idea is, is that you, you can kind of, the light can get dimmer, Right? Or it can, it can raise up. And that's what you see in Saul's life. And that, that can be what happens in, in our lives too. Um, God reveals himself to us. He shows us who he is. He tells us who he is in his word. Uh, he speaks to us through music, through, through art, through, through uh, other people, um, whatever. You know, he convicts us through the Holy Spirit. Like, there's lots of ways that God reveals himself to us. And when that happens, it's like a light goes on. Right, Some, You've had this experience where it's like, oh my goodness, I, like I get it. I understand now. I see who I am. I understand my purpose in this world. I can, um, I can ascertain right and wrong and moral truth. And, you know, um, Betsy uh, interviewed me this last month for a class. She had to, one of her questions was, what's my favorite part of ministry? And I told her, it's like, it's when I see the light bulb go off for somebody. When all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit illuminates their soul and there's a sense of like, now I see, I get it. So that happens when God reveals himself to us. Paul, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul prays that the eyes of the heart would be enlightened. Now, I don't know about you, but my, eye, my heart does not have eyes. Does anyone's heart have eyes? That's some weird anatomy. You should get that checked out. That's not good. Uh, that's not what Paul's talking about, right? He, he's saying there's a way of seeing. There's an illumination that God can bring 
where, again, it's like the lights get turned on. But the opposite can happen as well. That if you don't act on what you know, if you ignore the revelation of God, or if God reveals something to you and you disobey it or whatever, it's like the dimmer switch starts to go down. And the eyes of your heart get darker. And everything gets dark. It becomes harder to see. It becomes harder to hear. This is when we find ourselves in a place where we go, it just feels like I, I, can't, I can't really connect with God anymore. Um, Proverbs chapter four puts it this way. It says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Right? So right, you know, righteous meaning right living, right, right uh, relationship with God. It's like things just get brighter and brighter, he says. But, and there's the opposite, the way of the wicked is like deep, what? Darkness. It's like the lights go out. So much so, it says, they do not know what makes them stumble. I don't know why I'm tripping up. I don't even know why I'm stuck. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I keep hitting this wall. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter one. If you want to read that, I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm not going to read it word for word. But at the end of Romans chapter one, Paul talks about this, this reality where when people ignore God long enough and you ignore what God has revealed and made obvious to the world, um, it, you start to drift further and further away from truth. You start to drift further and further away from righteousness. And then that starts to lead to all sort of destructive behaviors and this dimmer switch principle, I think it's not just true on like an individual level, like you and I, things can either be brighter or darker, but as we collectively as a society ignore God and continue to, to you, know, uh, you know, go against what he's revealed or, and all those things, the dimmer switch of our entire culture can start to get darker and darker and darker. And I think Romans chapter one talks about that. And I don't think you even need to be a Christian or even a believer or, at all to kind of look around the world and go, yeah, it feels like the switch has really gotten low. There was somebody who even came to church a couple weeks ago who, who they put online, they said, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian yet, but it, when I look around the world, I think more people would, would benefit if they would actually believe this and go to church and do these things. Because that's someone who goes like, I'm not even sure what I believe yet, but man, I look around the world and go, things are, things are dark. Something's not right. And I think we're seeing the consequences of, of this principle kind of playing out in, in real time in our world today. There's a few things, though, I, I want to pull out of this I think we should take away. So I'm going to try to just uh, get through these. So number one, if you want to write these down, you want to take a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do, it's this idea, this principle that when we obey the obvious, God takes care of the obscure. Like when we obey what we already know to be true, God will kind of take care of the things that we're not certain about. Saul comes to this witch or medium because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. And he wants to know, okay, what is God's will? You ever ask that? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will in this situation? He doesn't know. So he comes to the witch to figure that out. And yet, at the same time he's doing that, Saul knew full well that he wasn't supposed to visit a medium. Are you tracking with me? He's doing what he knows he's not supposed to do to try to figure out what he doesn't know about. He's so focused on what he doesn't know that he disobeys what he does know. And I see this a lot. 
I, I think we could fall into this. I, I counsel with people who are seeking God's will. That's what we'll say. You know, what is God's will for X? Like a very specific, like um, because it's spring and graduations are happening. I think about, I, I get the question a lot, you know, how do I know what college God wants me to go to? Or how do I know God's will for what I should study? What profession? Uh, you know, maybe you've asked that question. Like, I don't know what I should do for work or um, who should I marry? You know, should I marry this person or not? Or, you know, and, and all of these kinds of things. And God cares about those things, right? Talked last week, God cares about the small things. Everything's small compared to our big God. You know, like he cares about those things and he may have specific leanings. Sometimes I do think he says, I want you to go here. I want you to do that. Like sometimes I do think he gives us clarity on, on those, you know, really specific things. But I think a lot of the times God's will for our lives is actually quite broad. It's actually pretty obvious, but, it, but not super specific. And as long as you're honoring him and you're obeying his word and you're growing closer to him, you're staying closer to him, it, you, if you obey what you already know, you'll end up where you're supposed to be. And, and he'll bless that. And there's so many scriptures that talk about what God's will are for our life that sometimes I think we kind of want to get to the more specific and we forget about the more general. So what is God's will for your life? God's will is for you to know him and to find your identity and your rest in him. God's will is for you to be holy as he is holy. God's will is for you to live an authentic spiritual community with others. Or you didn't need to wake up this morning and go, I think I'm gonna pray. God, do you want me to go to church today? <laughs> like you, you just knew, like I'll answer that for you, right? Like here it is, I think so, right? Um, now you might wanna pray about what kind of church God wants you in or what, what role God wants you to play in the church. You know, there's lots of specific things in there. But the general principle is like get in authentic Christian community with other people and grow together. Um, so the, the idea, the bottom line is, is we have to be careful of using what isn't clear as an excuse to disobey what is. Because that's what Saul does. Saul always has a good reason for doing the wrong thing. You ever met anybody like that? Don't look at them, look at me. Saul, it's always like, I know I shouldn't, but let me tell you why I can or why I should. Like he always has a good reason to do the wrong thing. Okay, second thing I think we can pull out of this story uh, great starts don't guarantee success and major failures don't guarantee a tragic finish. This is one of those good news, bad news things. Because if you read Saul's biography, it actually started off really strong. Saul is a, is a handsome, he's described as this handsome, tall guy. He's from a great family. Um, he's Israel's first king by God's choice. Like he didn't just go, hey, I wanna be king. Um, God, God chose him in 1 Samuel chapter 10. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, in a powerful way. And so you read that and you're like, oh man, like Saul's got it going on. Like this guy's gonna crush it. He's gonna really be something, you know? It was a great start. And it ended horribly. And then you think of other guys in the Bible that kind of struggled to get out the gates, you know, kind of stumbled out of the blocks. Think of someone like Paul, who the first time we find Paul, he's trying to throw Christians in jail. Um, Peter, you read Peter's life? Like when he was following Jesus around, he's always the one that you're like, Peter, like, dude, what are you doing? 
You know, why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Um, even after the crucifixion, Peter's like, I don't even know who Jesus is. I didn't, I don't know that guy. Like, deny is Jesus. Joseph, he has a mixed story, but you know, we kind of go to the end of Joseph's story where we're like, what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's just like triumphal ending. The beginning of Joseph's life, he's kind of a punk of a brother. He is. Like he's bragging. Like he gets thrown into a pit because his brothers have had enough of him. You know, he's, he's really not this great guy. Um, Moses, right? Moses kills a guy. He wanders the desert for 40 years, hiding from God, hiding from Egypt. Um, just not, not great starts. And yet, when you get to the end of those guys' stories, it turns out really well. So I guess the principle is, is it's not really how you start, it's how you finish. And that your story isn't, you know, whatever chapter you're in now is not the end of your story. And there's good and bad in that, isn't there? Because that means there's time. That means there's time for your story to change. That means God might write a different chapter in your life if you're struggling right now. But then it's also that warning to those of us who things are going really well right now. It's like, well, yeah, but do you have the perseverance? Do you have the, the spiritual grit? Will you maintain a sensitivity to the spirit of God so that you finish well? We wanna finish the race well. It's not about how we start, it's about how we finish. I think Saul's a good lesson to us in that. And then the last thing, I think we can see in the story is this idea that when we mess up, we have two choices. We can make it right or we can make excuses. You can't really do both. Like I said, Saul always had a good reason to do the wrong thing. He loved to blame other people for the messes that he made. He loved to blame other people for the problems he got himself in. Like Saul was not just the king of Israel. He was the king of deflecting responsibility. It's always someone else. It's their problem. It's if they wouldn't have done that. I mean, he's just, he's always making excuses for himself and for his sin. I think Proverbs 28, uh, 13 to 14 describes Saul fairly well. It says in verse 13, whoever conceals their sin, right? Whoever hides their sin does not, what? Prosper. Doesn't go well for you if you conceal, if you hide your sin. But here's the opposite. The one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. Right? Whoever who stays humble before God, who stays in reverence, like holy fear. It says, blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. I think this verse summarizes what happened to Saul. Now, the opposite of this would be David. Um, David's the guy that God chose to replace Saul. What's interesting is David wasn't a perfect person. David's, David, I think you can make a case David was worse than Saul. At, a, at least in one season of his life in particular, if you read the story of like Bathsheba and Uriah and just that whole mess, just made a mess of things. And yet David is called a man after God's own heart. So you read that, and you're like, well, how could that be possible if he did this? What kind of man after God's own heart would act like that? But the difference between David and Saul is because when, when David messed up, he owned it. Right, Nathan confronts David 
and, and says, you know, you're the man, you're, you're the one who's doing these things. Like you're doing these awful things. And David is broken over his sin. He writes Psalm 51 as a response to that. And he's, a, he's contrite, he's broken, and he repents. He doesn't try to conceal it. He confesses it, he repents of it. And repentance is not, this is key, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, you ever had that with your kids where they apologize and you're like, at some point, I don't want you to say you're sorry, I just want you to do the thing. I want you to change, right? And that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning, it's turning away from your sin and turning toward God. Like, and when we mess up, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. Right, 1 John 1, 9. You've heard me say it a million times because it's, it's a verse in the Bible that I need to be reminded of. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful to forgive. But it says, if we confess. So again, that means you have two choices when you mess up. That's our first option to say, God, you know what I did anyway. Nothing is hidden from you. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm sorry enough to change. I'm sorry enough to turn from my sin, to turn towards you because I want the light back on. I don't want my heart to go hard. I don't want my heart to go bitter. I don't want to get to the place like Saul where I can't hear from you. I don't even know where, if you're active in my life or not. I need you to raise the lights back up. So I, I'm going to confess and I'm going to repent. That's option one. Option two is Saul's route where you just blame and you just, you just cover, you make excuses. And what happens if you live there long enough is the lights start to go dim. You can't hear from God anymore. Your heart gets hard. It's, it's like that verse in Proverbs, that says you're stumbling in the dark and you don't even know what you're stumbling over. So what will we choose? Will we make it right or will we make excuses? Some of you, some of you are gonna laugh at this, but I've been really reflective lately. I, I try to always be somewhat reflective, but uh, cue the laughing. But this year I'm turning 40. I know, I know. Some of you are like, you're such a baby. And others of you are like, dang, bro, you're older than I thought you were. I told Cassie the other day, though, I don't know, she probably didn't want to hear this, but I told Cassie, my wife, I said, it hit me, I was praying last week, and it occurred to me that I could have more life behind me than in front of me. I don't know if that's true. Um, you don't either. Like, you, today could be your last, like, we don't know, right? Our days are numbered, um, have no idea. But when you, you know, that's that number. It's that number you start thinking about, you know, different things. This is where people have midlife crisis, you know, where they go out and buy something they shouldn't. Um, for me, it hasn't been so much a midlife crisis. It's, it's been like midlife focus, right? Like, who do I want to be? God, who have you called me to be? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me, am I spending on things that matter? Now, if I go out and buy a boat, like my friends are always begging me to do, you know, then you'll know the midlife crisis has happened. That's, a, that's going down, and you need to come rescue me because I should not be in possession of a boat. I have no idea. I wouldn't know the first thing about a boat, right? But it's just this idea, like, we get one life, you know? 
We're all going to live forever. But, but on earth, we get one life. And eventually, the sand runs out. And the sad part is the lights can go out even while we're still alive. Right? We, we, oftentimes, we think about, okay, well, when I die, that's when the dimmer switch goes completely out. But it can actually go out while you're alive. You could be a dead man walking. And like I think of Samson in, in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, I, I think it's the most tragic verse in the entire Bible where Samson, this guy that has this brute, you know, supernatural strength, there's a passage where he goes to, to use that strength and it fails him. And the scriptures say that he, he did not know that the Lord had left him. He had drifted so far from God, he wasn't even aware that somewhere along the way, he'd, he'd gotten completely disconnected from God and God was gone. His strength was gone. Like he, he was no longer in right relationship with God. He didn't know it. And so I, I, just, um, I just felt led to give an opportunity this morning. This is not for someone who it's like, you wanna become a follower of Jesus. That's another conversation. I'd love to have that conversation with you about what Jesus has done to forgive you and save you. But this is for someone who says, I've already done that, but man, um, I've drifted to the point where I think that dimmer switch has gotten really low and I'm not sure how to get back. I'm not sure how to turn the lights back on. The way you do that is you repent, you, you turn back. And there's always an opportunity while there's still time to just turn the lights back on, to turn back to God and say, God, I don't, I don't want a hard heart anymore. And I'm sorry that I disobeyed you. And I just want to confess that to you. And I, I, I'm asking you to turn the lights back on. It's kind of a rededication. So I just want to take a minute to do that. If you'll close your eyes with me for, for a second. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. I don't, I don't know what this message is supposed to be or who it's supposed to be for, but... If you would just say, that's me this morning. I, whether it's through willful disobedience of God, doing what you know you shouldn't, whatever. Maybe it's just spiritual neglect, not, not taking the time. Maybe it's just distraction, right? And you've allowed everything to crowd out God's voice in your life. And it feels like the lights have gotten slowly darker and darker and your heart is getting harder and harder. And you say, I don't, I don't wanna be in this place. I wanna come alive to God. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me again and, and turn the lights back on. Will you just raise your hand for a minute if that's you this morning? Anybody in here saying that? Thank you. God, you know where people are at. Even the ones who didn't raise their hand who just go, man, that's, that's where I'm at. The, I'm just, the dimmer switch is too low. And I don't know why. I don't know what the situation is in their life. You do. And their raised hand this morning, Lord, is their confession to say, I want to turn back. I want, I want the lights back up. I want to burn brighter. I, I want more of God. And so I not only confess, and this is the key, I not only just say I'm sorry, but I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to, by, by your power, God, I need you to come into my life so that I can repent of the things that's gotten me to this place to begin with. And as you do that and you fill us, the, as Paul says, the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. It's like we'll be able to see again. We'll be able to hear your voice. We'll be able to read the word and it'll be, it won't just be a chore. It'll be something we look forward to. 
It'll be like fresh life being poured into us, Lord. Will you do that this morning? God, will you do that in my life? Will you do that in our church? Will you do that in the, the people who raised their hands this morning, Lord? You raise the switch. We're so grateful that you are faithful to us when we are unfaithful to you. And that you love us enough to always give us another chance. We stand on your word this morning, Lord. As you say, if we confess, you forgive. And it's by your grace that we change. We pray this in your name. Amen.